It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Jets podcast. It's Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. This is your host, John B. from GangreenNation.com. Great to have you with us today. Our guest on this Wednesday show is Trevor Sikama. You may remember Trevor joined us a couple months ago to talk about the NFL draft. Now, with the event approaching, Trevor's back. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll try and bring in some draft experts to tell you about some of the prospects the Jets should be looking at. Trevor, of course, is with the Draft Network, which is my favorite website breaking down the NFL draft. They have a lot of great writers, a lot of compelling content. And guys who offer different takes, you know, not they're not all, not everybody has the same opinion on players. So lots of good uh, back and forth uh, evaluating some of the uh, talents available to the Jets and other teams in the upcoming NFL draft. Let's jump into our chat with Trevor as we talk about the 2019 NFL draft. Joining us today, returning to the show, Trevor Sikama from the Draft Network, just an absolutely wonderful website. Give you give you so much great content on the NFL draft. He's here to talk. With us since the draft is well just about two weeks away trevor welcome back to the show wow you saying it's two weeks away almost made me have like a mini panic attack there we're really that close to it huh john not quite because it's two weeks from tomorrow i think so we're still a little over two weeks so you can calm down for one day maybe <laughs> no it's gonna, right. be, it's gonna be back with you man okay uh so the big debate right now in the Jets fan base is whether they should keep the third pick or trade down. The Jets, because of their Sam, the trade for Sam Darnold last year with the Colts, currently without a second-round pick. And, you know, Trevor, I'm not going to ask you – I mean, you can give me your opinion if you want, whether the Jets should trade down, but I'm going to tell you the concern a lot of people who are against trading down tell me. And it's that the Jet, their view is that the Jets are going to get an elite pass rusher if they stay at three, and there's a concern that they won't get somebody as good – if they move down or, or that there's a big discrepancy between the guy they can get at three and the guy they can get the pass rusher they can get if they trade down. So how valid are those concerns? You know, how, how big is the gap between the top of the, the top of the line edge rusher in this draft and the guy, maybe you get a few picks later. Sure. Uh, you know, that's really interesting. It's a really interesting question because, you know, up until about two or three weeks ago, I didn't really even think the jets were considering trading down at all. I mean, this is obviously a team that, you're certainly trying to build around Sam Darnold. And you're 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 in a younger rebuild. Anytime you have a young franchise quarterback, that's kind of always the case. But I thought the Jets were kind of like standing pat at number three, no matter what. They knew that they wanted to get an elite player. They weren't going to get cute with it. Try to move around a little bit. But like I said, kind of over these last couple of weeks, I found out. Yeah, the Jets. Uh, they're going to be entertaining some offers. They'll probably even entertain some offers when they come on the clock on draft night. They're one of those teams that might take that whole. You know, 10, 15 minutes to kind of figure it out. I think their board will be set and they'll know which guys that they want, but I think they're going to be on the phones and pretty busy throughout that because I do believe that, you know, especially when it comes to that edge rush position, let's just go ahead and say it. Josh Allen's the guy probably that they're going to end up selecting at number three if they're going to take an edge rusher. But 
for a long time now, uh, you know, during this draft process, Ja'Kai Polite's been a little bit different because his draft process was just so bad. I mean, he clearly did not have the right people in his ear about how to train for the combine and this pro day and kind of how to go through interviews and things like that. Or maybe he just didn't care as much as he needed to. I really don't know. It just really wasn't a good draft process all around. But on the field, if we're just talking tape versus tape, Josh Allen, Ja'Kai Polite, and Brian Burns have some of the best edge rushing tape in the entire class. And I think all three of those guys, you could pick a name out of a hat and they'd be great for you no matter what. So Ja'Kai, like I said, his stock's a little bit down. You're, you're probably not picking him in the first round anymore. But in terms of what you were saying, your initial question, hey, how much is the gap between, say, a guy like, okay, if you're pegging Josh Allen as the edge rusher the Jets would go with at number three, What's the difference between he and, say, Burns or Cleveland Farrell or Montez Sweat? Now, I think the gap's a little bit more for guys like Farrell and Sweat just because I think you're a little bit more scheme-dependent. They're not as high of a ceiling as some guy like Brian Burns, but that's where it gets interesting. You know, if the Jets can move down to, say, oh, I don't know, with the Jaguars, if they, for whatever reason, wanted to move up for a pass rusher from number seven, maybe if Buffalo's looking to get, uh, a big-time playmaker or an offensive lineman of their choice up at from nine to three, something like that, then you can move down a little bit. You can kind of think that you're still going to land a guy like Brian Burns and maybe even, if not, a guy like Montez Sweat, take a couple of extra picks um, there in that second and third round on day two. We know how valuable those could be, not only as draftees themselves, but potential pieces to move, move up and down, maybe jump back into the – end of the first round, maybe end up selecting two guys in the first round if you kind of make a move like that. So all that to say, I didn't really see the Jets as a team that was going to move, but now that I know it's on their radar, it's in their plans to potentially move up and down the draft, I actually like the idea for them. Uh, they can't move too far down because they are still a team that, let's face it, you know, they pay, they're picking number three overall for a reason. They need help on that roster. They need good players. So they've got to be calculated with it, but they are a team that I think is going to entertain a lot of offers. And I think for the Jets specifically, there's there's a handful of offers that could make sense for them there. Now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here and just ask you a question. You know, you mentioned a guy who you know, had a rough uh, pre-draft process. How much does that matter? And the reason I ask this is that I understand it's important, but, you know, as a Jets fan, like, I just go back. There, there's this famous story with the Jets seven years ago about how Stephen Hill wore a suit and tie to the T facility on his visit. And that just totally wowed the Jets. And that played a role in them trading up in the second round for him. So I'm a little scarred from the past. And I know I understand there are, there are very important things that happen in this process, but that story just like, sure. sticks in my mind because the Jets made such a big deal out of Stephen Hill wearing a suit to the to the team <laughs> facility. So how much does this how much does this actually matter when it comes to, you know, how it impacts a player's sock? Yeah, listen, the longer I do this, the longer I realize that the NFL is absolutely ridiculous with some of the stuff that they, they put stock in. But I will say that all of it just comes down to trust. Uh, this is big business, I think, at the end of the day. And, and you're putting these guys, you know, they're more than just football players, right? I mean, they're, they're means to make money. That's just, I mean, that's the way that it is. Certainly their play on the field is a big part of that, but also who they are in the public. Uh, how coachable they are, how much of a base of a franchise they could be. All of this stuff goes into, especially when we're talking about top five, top 10 overall picks. And so any little X factor you can get that might separate a guy that might make a guy, like I said, 
more of a face of a franchise, more of someone that you would want to put in the spotlight to represent your team. I mean, for the Jets, I mean, Jamal Adams is, is the perfect example. I mean, that guy, yes, he plays the safety position. And even though I think the safety position drafting one super high, eh, it's tough to it's tough to justify that kind of value. He has been so worth it for the Jets just because of who he is, his face, right? And so that's a big deal when you're picking prospects high. So that all comes down to a trust factor. And when you find, like I said, the NFL, how they determine trust is sometimes a little bit out there and unorthodox and just downright illogical. But for a guy like Ja'Kai Polite, who we were talking about earlier, it's a matter of, hey, this guy has been in a college program, a Division One college program for the last three years, three or four years. And a lot of his life has been very structured, and it's been structured at the highest and most efficient level. Yes, he has to still go to class and things like that, but really this draft process is the first time in a long time where Ja'Kai is just it, – it's basically – and not just for Ja'Kai, for a lot of these prospects, it is – their first time on their own. Like, it's their decision to wake up early, right? I mean, like, they're not going to get in trouble if they don't. You know, it's not like they're going to get yelled at by a coach or something. It's their decision to eat well, to continue to train, to put your best foot forward, to, to study up on these interviews. And when you bomb some of these things, that hurts the trust level that teams can have with you. Because at the end of the day, they can't be your babysitter, right? I mean, like, the NFL teams cannot – afford to look after you in the same way that maybe some uh, some schools do just because it's so much more structured when you're at a university, especially a Power 5 university. So I think that's kind of all the things that go into it. Uh, the draft process is really wacky, and some, some really weird things happen. Some guys' stocks rise and fall because of silly reasons, but at the end of the day, it's just all about trust. It's how much a team can trust you because, man, I, I've learned this more over the last two years covering a team as a beat reporter than anything else, if a coach can't trust you, you're gone. Like, you're useless to him. And many coaches are more stubborn than others. Some are more forgiving. But depending on who the head coach is, man, if they can't trust you, like, you're not going to be a factor on the team. You're going to be gone. And so they're not even going to waste a draft pick if they can't trust you. And so a lot of teams do a lot of weird things to see how far they can trust him. And so I think that's that's part of the draft process that makes it – you know, have those Stephen Hill stories where you hear it's a little wacky things like that or what's going on with Ja'Kai Polite now. Or, um, you know, we've heard stories in the past where how a prospect shakes somebody's hand could be the difference between them getting picked or whatever. But that's what it all goes into. It all goes into kind of that trust factor from team to team. Yeah, and I'll give you one other story. And I, I'm sure I won't bore you with many stories. I'll try and limit the number of stories about past Jets draft visits that you have to endure on this show. But... I do remember there was a story back 2007 about how uh, Darrell, the, Mike Tannenbaum was the general manager of the Jets at that point. Apparently, like, asked the driver who picked up the prospects from the airport on their team visits, you know, the prospect was. And they, I remember there was a story about how the driver said that Darrell Rebus was the most polite guy he'd ever encountered. And that, that played a role in the Jets uh, uh, picking him. So anyway, anyway yeah, I'll move yeah, on. I'm telling no, I'm telling you, man. It's just, it was the same thing down in Tampa Bay, right? When they were deciding between Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, they did their due diligence all the way to the point where they went to, I think, Jameis's high school and asked questions of the janitor 
that was still there from when he was in high school and asked him about his interactions with Jameis Winston and how he was as a person and all this kind of stuff. So they go to pretty deep levels. They really do because, you know, it's again, you've got to trust the guy that you're drafting, especially at the top. Sure, absolutely. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Uh, we're here with Trevor Sikkim of the Draft Network. Uh, just a little over two weeks from the start of the 2019 NFL Draft. Now, Trevor, interested in your take on some of the offensive line prospects this year. Um, the Jets need to upgrade their offensive line and one of the things that I think is kind of compelling is that there are lots of play. There seem to be lots of different opinions about where on the offensive line some of these top prospects fit. Whether it's a Jonah Williams, whether it's a Taylor, whether it's Cody Ford. So, where do you see some of these top prospects slotting in? All right, I'll tell you. It's a pretty decent offensive line class. I really do. I think it's pretty pretty good at the top. You're going to get some players who are really going to help you. I'll I'll tell you the four offensive linemen at the top that I really like. I'll start with Juwan Taylor. He's the best pass protector in the draft. I, I I mean, like, I fully believe that. He plays the right tackle position, and some people look at him and they go, oh, he's just a right tackle, as if that's some kind of a knock. As if guys like Von Miller and Khalil Mack don't go up against right tackles because, oh, look, would you rather have him go up against a right tackle or a left tackle? Probably the right, because right tackle is worse. Well, if you've got a guy as good at pass protection as Juwan Taylor on the right tackle side of your line, you're not going to have a weakness. And I think that is such a huge asset that people don't think about enough. They just think, oh, he's just a right tackle, right? We hear that word just thrown in there all the time. And I think that that's kind of a misconception that needs to go away. I think Juwan Taylor is a guy that can really almost complete an offensive line on, on both edges, and you can really neutralize something like that. And for a team like the Jets especially, that's important. Jonah Williams is another guy I like. He's got such great tape at left tackle. Yes, he's not as maybe toolsy as some of these other guys when it comes to length, uh, but he's got great tape at left tackle. He's played left tackle for the last two years at Alabama, playing in some of the biggest games against some of the toughest SEC competition. He's played for championships in every single year that he's been a starter, both at right tackle and at left tackle for the last two years. You can't deny tape like that. Even if you want to nitpick, okay, maybe he's not as long as you want. Maybe he's you know a little bit this and that. He's got the tape, man. He's been up against good players. And, and um, him and Cleveland Farrell had their back and forth. But look, Cleveland Farrell is going to be a first-round pick too. So, you know, that's that's no knock against him. Cody Ford is such a mean cuss, and, and I love him as a potential right tackle, man. He's He is a lot of fun as well. He's more of a power guy than I would say Taylor would be as a finesse. Um, but he gives you he also gives you versatility to play in the interior 
or on the tackle side. So I really like Cody Ford. He was really the highlight player from a pretty dang good Oklahoma offensive line. So big fan of his. And then I'll round it out. My fourth guy, Dalton Reisner. He, I'm, he just like, I'm literally smiling talking about him because I was sitting near his podium at the combine and offensive line is such a gloryless position, right? I mean, you could play 50 snaps in a game. You could have 49 of them. Great. And if you give up a sack on one play, you're a bum. You're trash. Get him out of here. He's terrible. You know, so they get no glory and they get all the blame oftentimes. And Dalton Reisner, he's played on the interior. He's played right tackle. Some people even think he could play center. He's got quick enough feet to really play all of those. I don't think he'll play left tackle, but basically any other spot on the offensive line in the NFL I think will be good. They asked him at the combine, they said, hey, man, Offensive line is such a tough position to play. You take such a beating on your body, and you don't get a lot of recognition for it. Why do you play offensive line? And he smiled right away. He said, man, the chemistry that you get playing with that offensive line, he used the term like going to war, going to battle with with your boys every single week in the trenches. He said it's something he lived for. And he also he pulled out a quote immediately. He said, there's nothing like moving a man from point A to point B against their will. And I just, you know, when he said, when he kind of talked about offensive line in that way, I went, damn, I'm drafting that guy. Like, I want that guy on my offensive line. Um, mentality is so huge for playing O-line. Dalton Reisner's got it. So those are the top four guys for me. I think that Juwan Taylor and Jonah Williams will probably be more of the two top guys that might, you know, have that top 10 potential. Cody Ford, I could see going anywhere from pick number 10 to 20, and then Reisner, I'd say, is a late first-round guy. So there's a couple of tiers of guys that I like anywhere in the first round. Yeah, lots, lots of good stuff there. I'm, I'm a big Reisner fan also. Um, and you, you, you can, I, I really agree with it. It's something I've kind of changed my mind on through the years because I used to be like one of those guys who said like, oh, you can only take a left tackle early. But you just look at the way the league has changed. Like you said, the Von Millers, the Mac, they're lining up. I think right tackle now you can justify right. taking pretty early in the draft. I totally agree with you. A lot of people don't, still don't agree. I think the league has changed. Yep, totally. Nope, it, the league is changing in a lot of ways, and that's certainly one of them. You know, if you got your best pass rusher, why would you want to put your best pass rusher against the other team's best offensive line? I'm not here to sell tickets. I'm here to win football games, put them against the right tackle. So I think the defensive coordinators figure that part out first, but uh, offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches are kind of readjusting to this chess match, and, and they're figuring out that right tackle is a pretty important spot too. The center position is kind of a hole for the Jets. Are Bradbury, McCoy, the top two guys at that spot? Yeah, I think so. Those guys just move so well. I mean, they've got such quick feet for being their size. McCoy is just, he's so damn smooth when it comes to redirecting. You know, he went up against Christian Wilkins. I was watching him earlier this year. He went up against Christian Wilkins, and even that tape against Alabama, man, he's getting off the snap, and you got some snap jumpers. I mean, like, you got Quentin Williams, you got Christian Wilkins. Uh, you had Raekwon Davis. All those dudes are playing on the interior. McCoy handled a lot of them really, really well. So he's had a lot of stout competition. Bradbury, man, if, you, if you're looking to run zone, I don't know if there is a better offensive line than, than Bradbury. I mean, him and Chris Lindstrom are basically, you know, you can run stretch zone basically as much as you want. You, if you've got a running back who likes to get to the sideline, holy cow, would you love Bradbury in the middle? I mean, he's a guy who – can play in gap schemes as well. He can pull with different tackles and guards, uh, moving from one side to the other in some split zone concepts. And so he's, he would be a great choice as well. I think McCoy's going to end up being my number one interior offensive lineman. 
but I think Bradbury's going to be number two, and then Lynchham's going to be number three. Really, if you end up with any of those guys, I think you're going to be really happy about it. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I want to ask you now about the wide receiver position. Jets do not have a second round pick, but they do have two third round picks. Uh, they have their own pick and they also have a Saints pick because of the Teddy Bridgewater trade. And I look at the wide receiver position and I'm not saying, look, I never go into the draft saying like, okay, I have to draft X position with this, with this pick because you don't know how things are going to play out. But I look at you know, the way things are going to set up in the third round and I see how deep this class is at wide receiver. And I say, you know, in the third round, you're going to get a guy who he's a third rounder this year, but in most years, like he'd be a second round pick and he's just going to fall because of how deep this class is. I mean, am I, am I accurate on that? No, I think the wide receiver, yeah. I mean, the wide receiver position is pretty dang deep this year. I think we're going to see a trend where wide receiver is going to be pretty deep almost every year because that's just the way the football is going. I mean, I keep up with recruiting a little bit and, um, just the players that they're having play wide receiver and how they're playing them in college, it's just grooming a lot of offensive weapons in a lot of different ways. And so certainly the NFL's following suit in that regard where they're correctly taking the types of players that, that college gives them. And ultimately that's what high schools are grooming as well. And so you kind of see it from the bottom level all the way to the NFL, this renaissance of, of potential passing weapons and from the wide receiver position, that's definitely true. But, I think that kind of can work out to the Jets' advantage because they have Jameson Crowder, they have a new one, they have Robbie Anderson. And so that's kind of a, a complete core as it is, not saying they couldn't get better. But, I mean, in the third round, you're going to have players like Demarcus Lodge, potentially Andy Isabella, Emmanuel Hall, Jacoby Myers, maybe Terry McLaurin, Riley Ridley, depending on how much the NFL likes or dislikes his testing. And so those are all a handful of guys that, and they can help almost any team. And certainly the Jets are a team where they can afford to sit back to the third round, take one of these wide receivers and kind of let them groom and, and play under the guys that I mentioned before. And so there's plenty of different weapons. And the best part about this wide receiver class is that it's a very pick-your-preference class, right? If you need a slot guy, you can get a slot guy in the second round, in the third round, in the fourth round, even later on day three. You can find that. If you need an X, if you, well, X is you, you kind of got to take in the top 100 because it gets pretty – you get pretty risky with X receivers later in the draft, but uh, flanker players, players with speed, players who stretch the field, you're going to be able to find them and take a chance on them in almost every round as well. And so it, it's a good class. It's a good wide receiver class. And I think the best part is, is that there's something for every team, no matter what round it is. So even though there are a handful of wide receivers that even say like, I have my preference on that I would have over other receivers, you don't have to, sell the farm to go up and get a guy, especially if you're a team like the Jets. I think that they could sit around and wait and get the right guy who has the right skill set to complement uh, what they have already right now. And I, I also love this year's tight end class. I think it's a, that's a pretty deep uh, position as well. No, tight ends. I mean, for sure. No, it's, it's, no offense, TJ Hawkinson at the very top. Those are guys who 
are going to be first-round picks, I think, for sure. You've got Irv Smith, Jay Sternberger. Those guys are going to be second-round picks for sure. But then even guys later, you know, like Dawson Knox, he's a player who, like, put Dawson Knox in basically any other offense in the country, and he's got way more production than he has right now. I mean, like, there's there's tape that I'm watching of him, which because they clearly ran their entire offense around A.J. Brown. Everything went through A.J. Brown, and there's plays where, Knox is just wide open, basically waving his hands in the middle of the field, and Tiamo's not even looking at him. You can't even blame Tiamo for it. It's just kind of the way that the system is set up. But, you know, him, Dax Raymond, he's a guy from uh, from Utah State who's got potential. Josh Oliver is a true mismatch type that played out in San Jose State where he's a big guy who moves really well for his size. And then Trayvon Wesco and, and Foster Moreau are two players who probably going to end up going early day three that I really like is potential full-time tight ends that can both block and uh, and catch the football. You're always probably going to be searching for tight end ones right above them, but we're seeing, as many teams are doing in the NFL, the more tight ends that you have that are potential weapons, the better, because that just makes you more mismatch versatile, and that makes you a better attacking match for, for most defenses, no matter what week it is. Yeah, and I, you know the Jets drafted a tight end, Chris Herndon, in the fourth round last year, and I think by all accounts, okay. for a fourth round tight end. I gotta, say, I gotta say this real quick. I was at the combine, and I was sitting there at Adam Gase's podium, and I swear to you, he got asked about Chris Herndon four separate times in a twelve-minute span of the interview, and even Adam Gase, by the time the the third and fourth questions uh, came around, he was like. Wow, you guys really like Chris Herndon, huh? So I don't. They must have big plans for him. I don't know. Yeah, and you know the reason I bring up Herndon is you know you mentioned Knox, and I think back to last year and Herndon's production. Well, like wasn't that great at Miami, and it was because it, a lot of it I think was because he played behind Njoku for a number of years. Right. So you know right. the stats. It, that's kind of what I think. And they may not be the exact same player, but I think of Knox where the numbers aren't really there for him. But he, like you said, like I watched him and on the film, I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. I can't believe this guy only had what, how many, he was in like the teens and receptions last year. I'm just like, this guy's much better than the stats look. Yeah, they had, they had Ingram, they had Evan Ingram before him. And if they would have just given him a little bit more of the Evan Ingram treatment, I think that that would have served them a lot better, maybe win, a, win one or two more football games. But hey, what do I know, I guess, right? All right, so Trevor, I guess I'll close by asking about the corner position. It uh, is a need for the Jets. It seems like this is not the greatest year for corners, but are there any guys you would have your eye on? So, actually, funny you brought this up because I was talking about this on Twitter earlier. It's it's not a great – people look at this cornerback class and they say, like, okay, it's not great because it doesn't have that bona fide, like, top 10, top 15 talent, whether it's safety or a corner. So they automatically go, okay, well, it's a down class. But there's a lot of, I would say, like, nice corners who are going to make teams pretty happy. There may not be these, there may not be this abundance of, of CB1s who are going to be lockdown guys or franchise changers, but there's going to be a lot of CB2s. Like, for example, I think DeAndre Baker is going to be a good CB2. Now, if you try to make him a CB1, I think you're going to be disappointed. But as long as you have the right expectations, I think Baker could be a great second cornerback for a team. Arwarie, I'm a huge fan of as a, as a good CB2. I think he could be one of the best CB2s in the NFL. Julian Love's another guy who I think that of. And so, you know, Byron Murphy. I really like Byron Murphy, but if you're sitting here trying to make him a, a CB1, you're going to be disappointed if you – but then on the other side, like, for example, let's take the Lions. They've got a, a guy like 
like Darius Slay on the other side, if you let Darius Slay be the lockdown player and you got a guy like Byron Murphy on the other side, one of the best cornerback duos I can name, you know? So there's going to be a lot of really good complementary cornerbacks. So if you're looking to hit a home run with any of these guys, if Greedy Williams does not pan out for you, you're going to be out of luck. And Greedy Williams is even himself a projection because we saw last year, well, even let's go two, two years before that to the beginning, he had a fantastic uh, redshirt freshman year playing as a true man coverage corner, had a lot of success. And I, I don't want to be too mean and say that he coasted this year, but there were definitely moments where he was just not nearly as engaged as you would want him to be. So he comes in the NFL, perhaps he flips the switch, perhaps he's giving you it his all in every play. And if you do that, he certainly has the size, the speed, the, and the skill set to be a CB1 in the NFL. But outside of Greedy, I don't really see one. I just see a lot of guys who could be some complimentary corners. And the guys that I named are probably at the top of that list that make the most sense. But they're still, they're longer guys, they're athletic guys. They can play in that cover three scheme. They can allow you to be aggressive on the front seven. And so even though it's not great at the top, there's a lot of guys to still really like and guys that could help your football team. All right, Trevor, thanks so much. Great uh, great to have you. No, I appreciate it, John. Anytime, man. Thank you for listening to our show today. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hope you have a great Wednesday, everybody, and we'll be back again tomorrow to talk more Jets. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.